How are you guys doing? Good. I was thinking while we were singing, um, not the last time I preached, but the time before that um, was last fall and we were outside doing the Lord's Prayer and uh, where I had to speak on God's will. And my life had just been turned upside down that week. And I was not sure how I was going to talk about God's will when I thought God's will wasn't very fun that day. And fast forward nine months later, and I'm preaching at the precipice of the beginning of something new. And it's kind of funny how God bookends his will with his word. And uh, that's not in my notes. It just happened. But I'm grateful for this congregation because a lot of what I'm going to be talking about tonight about personal and communal, what that looks like in the church happened and has been happening over the last nine months. And I've been so grateful for where the Lord has taken me, but also how he has brought many of you into it. And so thank you. And I'm excited um, to talk to you about this passage from Ephesians. And there are a million things I wanted to begin this with, and I kept coming back to this one. And I want to be clear, when I was a youth leader, I was not cool. Um, when I was a youth pastor, I was not the cool one. Um, I worked with urban teens, and I came from Moody Bible Institute. Um, I did not know all the cool little Wayne songs and, or little, I don't even, exactly, I didn't know. I only knew Kanye um, from college dropout because I was in Chicago. Um, so the fact that I'm going to talk about TikTok makes me <laughs> very proud, and I'm just telling you right now, it doesn't make me actually cool because my TikTok al algorithm shows me recipes. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about a recipe I saw on TikTok um, and how it takes two very simple ingredients and makes them one thing. It is one and a half cups of self-rising flour and a pint of any flavor ice cream. And they call it ice cream bread. And you just let the ice cream sit out get a little warm, you put it with a cup and a half, and then you throw it in the oven. There's probably an amount of time you should do that for, and a temperature, but it's TikTok, so they don't tell you any of that. And then they taste the bread, and they tell you how great it is, how it tastes like the ice cream, and how you should use certain ones, make better, use Ben and Jerry's. They all say use Ben and Jerry's. But this hashtag ice cream bread has been used 5.2 million times on TikTok alone. That's not other social medias. It is a, I was in marketing for too long at World Impact, a viral sensation. And we get to be that as the church, where Christ took two things, two very different things, and brought them together for the beauty and the edification of the world, because we all like to eat good things. And it is beautiful when it comes out of the oven and actually tastes good. And that's what's happening here in this passage that we're going to look at tonight. Is two things become one and we get to be a part of it. Because God put us together. And, and yeah, let me pray real quick. Father God, I thank you for community. I thank you for two different things becoming one. Um, I thank you 
that you take our personal stuff and our communal stuff and you make it your stuff. Thank you for loving us. We love you as best we can. In your name, amen. In the book, um, oh, and I told Kelly I'd do like something for her. I, I'm not that person. So Kelly, if you could change the slide. Um, in her book, The Irrational Season, Madeline Engel wrote, my moments of being most complete, most integrated, have come either in complete solitude or when I am being part of a body made up of many people going in the same direction. I mean, <laughs> the first time I read this, it hit me like a ton of bricks that this was the church. And indeed, she was talking about the church. We have times and moments of God where we're alone with him and he speaks truth to us. And we have times in community where hopefully that truth is encouraged, confirmed. Um, Madeline Langle is an author that my dad would read us when we were kids. And who knew she also wrote for adults? And when I found that out when I was older, I devoured all those books also. From a wrinkle in time to an irrational season to a circle of quiet, she is one of my favorite theologians without actually writing commentaries. But we have this opportunity, and hopefully we are all going in the same direction as a community. But what does it actually look like to be a part of a body going in the same direction? I want us to focus tonight on Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. I think that is a lot of what being a united body of believers actually looks like. I'm going to chat about a little bit, 11 through 16. Now, Nate's not here, so I'm going to talk about him. When I first started coming to Wheatland, he would give me the scriptures to read that always had circumcised or uncircumcised in it. And that's not how this passage was given to me, but I swear he must have like done some finagling with the church here to make sure that I got a passage that dealt with this. Paul, when he wrote this, I feel like the marketing on this was just not great. I feel like this is a question that was asked and answered a million times. And there's a saying in marketing, by the time you're sick of saying it, someone's getting it for the first time. And we say that now with social media and TV and radio and all the things. So I can't imagine how Paul was feeling about a statement like that with only letters. <laughs> with letters and coming to visit every once in a while. We read the Bible, I read the Bible, I read this, and I just keep thinking, Paul, you keep saying this, we know. But to the people of this time and in this place, this was a very big deal. The fact that they were to be one with this huge difference to them. The Gentiles, it says in, the, and it says in that part of that passage that they were separated, exiled, hopeless, without God. But we also know that God used Gentiles all throughout the Old Testament. It was interesting when I was looking at the Gentiles he used, they were often women. He used Rahab and Jael and other, and, um, oh, why can't I think of it? I didn't write them down. But consistently when I was seeing them, it was women he was using. God used Gentiles and grafted them in. So they weren't all without, they had a glimmer of this hope. 
And then Jesus comes and his message that Paul talks about in in verse 17, that he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus's message was consistent no matter the culture of the recipient. There may have been different specifics. He may have contextualized. But peace is what he preached. To Zacchaeus, yes, the song that I sang as a child, if you grew up in church, was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Zacchaeus being fully Jew and circumcised, Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That was peace to Zacchaeus. To the centurion who sent his friends to say his servant was sick, who was uncircumcised, Jesus said, go and let it be done as you have believed it would. That was peace to the uncircumcised centurion. And to the woman at the well, who was a mix of all the things, he gave her living water, and that was peace to her. And all of these were the personal peace to each of these people. And when he preached this peace, the peace that is also talked about in 11 through 16, he, it says that Jesus is peace. Jesus brings peace. He proclaims peace. So peace should be the moniker of his people. We should be people of peace. And what does that look like? It looks like, it looks like Zacchaeus. Peace to him personally was meeting and loving Jesus. Peace to him communally was half of my goods are going to the poor and fourfold of what I have swindled people out of, I'm paying back. For the woman at the well, personal peace was her being listened to and respected and loved and being offered living water. Communal peace was her running back to her neighborhood, the people who didn't like her, and saying, come meet this man who told me everything, everything about myself, and they knew everything about her. So the fact that she was like spilling this to them and not hiding from them, he gave her dignity and she brought it to her community. Now, I don't know that part of the centurion's journey. We just don't have that. But I'm assuming that things were greatly affected in his life when Jesus healed his servant. And it was greatly affected in his neighbor's lives. Because when Jesus brought peace, it never only affected one person. There was a ripple. In verse 18, it says, For through him... We both have access to one spirit, to the Father. I think about this a lot. I had a Sunday school teacher growing up who always would say, there is no junior Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. And I see this with children. Children who have said, like, I want to follow Jesus, or I'm going to follow Jesus, or I am following Jesus. Sometimes they say the wisest things. And to them, it's just like, well, yeah, that's what, that's what Jesus would do, or that's what Jesus says. And I'm always dumbfounded by the simplicity of it because I, having gone to Bible college, want to theologize and make it harder than it actually is. 
but the Holy Spirit brings us personal peace. Um, honestly, these last nine months, the Holy Spirit has brought me personal peace and he's brought many of you, and I know my parents are watching, he has brought them alongside me to confirm communally what my next steps are in my career path at World Impact. I didn't know. Personally, the Lord was telling me something, and then it was consistently affirmed by the community of saints. And we'll get to saints in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I love this idea there's no junior Holy Spirit, and we all have one. And hopefully, if we're doing this together, we are a part of that body moving in the same direction. And that direction should be built on listening to that spirit, the Holy Spirit, who we all have access to. And that's hard, and sometimes we don't know. And what does it mean to listen to the Holy Spirit? And that's something we have to decide as a community. I think our prayer times here are an excellent time when we have those moments of silence before prayer. Like, are we listening to what God wants us to do today? Are we hearing from Paul or Nathan or the plethora of others we have up here? When we hear sermons, are we taking moments after to say, how can we apply this today? And so we keep going with verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers or sojourners but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You have a place you belong. Whether you feel like it or not, there is a place you belong because you are no longer strangers or journeyers or sojourners. Personally, you are not alone anymore. Sometimes it's easy to feel alone, especially this last year. This last year, I will say, as a single human without a husband or children, my house became a lonely place often. And not because I didn't have friends who we were like potting with, you know, but because there wasn't the hubbub and life in it that there normally is. And I heard married couples say the same thing. Last year was lonely. But we had Zoom lunch on Mondays and we found ways to build community even in the loneliness. Because that is what the church does. The church gathers the saints, which you all are, and puts them in the household of God so that you are not alone. Personally, you can feel alone, but communally we are together in this. And Robert Brown, <laughs> there's my slide thing, um, said, on human beings is placed the task of preparing the way for the coming of the kingdom, seeking to destroy the barriers to its coming and initiating activities and attitudes that will help people to be citizens of the kingdom when God does initiate it. 
we as the church are the welcome committee for new saints. We are to embrace them, welcome them in, and show them the love of Jesus as he draws them near to him and they draw near. We have an amazing opportunity to be a part of this beautiful kingdom that God has for us and that we are already a part of and we're already building and we're walking in and yet it's not yet, it's that already not yet beauty of the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But we get to welcome these saints. In verse 22, no, 20, sorry. Paul goes on to write that all of this, this this household of God, it's being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. As members of the household of God, our foundation is the story of the Messiah woven throughout the ancient texts. The apostles and the prophets spoke to what was coming. And Jesus is that thing, and he is the cornerstone. And it holds us communally all together. The peace he brings, the debt he paid, the life he lives, holds us together in one spirit. And that's really beautiful, that we get to be one. And I know that not every church looks like one. But I'm happy to be a part of community that most of the time feels like a body. In verse 21, Paul continues with, In whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I love this quote from N.T. Wright. I know, we have to get one N.T. Wright, right? I know, I know. The living God is now seeking to make his home in the hearts and lives, and particularly the communities that have declared their loyalty to Jesus and were determined to live by the gospel. Personally, Jesus is in our life, and the Spirit is pushing us to grow. Communally, Jesus is here, and the Holy Spirit is here, pushing us to grow. And I, I love seeing this in the youth group. I've been helping Nate with the youth group for a couple of years now, and I love seeing our kids love Jesus and love each other because we have such a weird group of teenagers who are amazing and I love them and their hobbies and we have musical people. We have kids who play instruments. We have super smart kids, by the way. If you've never, if you don't know the teenagers that come to youth group, they're, every single one of them is super smart. So watch out. The future is going to be much smarter than I am. But I love watching these kids grow, not only physically, because have any of you seen Ian Bench lately? (laughs) He towers over me. And I swear, just last year, he was only like three inches taller than me. But they're growing as humans, too, not just in stature but in their depth and knowledge of who Jesus is and how he loves them and how he loves others. And in verse uh, 22, in him you are built 
into for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. We are all given spiritual gifts, and personally, we use those gifts in all sorts of ways. And maybe some of you have some more charismatic gifts, and maybe at home, alone, you practice those. We're not really a raise-your-hands, hallelujah kind of congregation, and that's okay. But we all have spiritual gifts, and the beauty of personal spiritual gifts that we use on our own is that God will use them to edify us. But also there's beauty in communal spiritual gifts that we use together. And I have youth group written in my margin because this is where I was going to talk about it. But I love working with Nate. I think our spiritual gifts have worked well with our youth together. And I see that with our worship teams, the different people who cycle through the worship, their spiritual gifts are used weekly to bring us music to bring us to a place where we can stop and listen and hear before we go into the message. And I look at I look at folks who are posting on our Facebook page and planning and who are administrative. That is not a gift I have. And I am so happy that people have that gift and I think it is one of the most underrated spiritual gifts um, because it is so needed. And we get to use those communally to make this church and to make each other better. Um, Nadia Bowles Weber says this about the church and the spirit. The radical and mysterious and dangerous thing the spirit does has always been to form us into one body, the body of Christ, sometimes despite us, sometimes against us, but always for us because it is only the spirit who can transform us from a they into a we. And that is the beauty of this passage, is it is about forming they, the uncircumcised, and they, the circumcised, into we, the temple of God, the kingdom. And for us, it's taking individual, and I also think we also need to stop, like, we're not a church that's like, Oh, sister, sister Candy, brother Mike. But I think we should be a church that's like, hey, St. Buffy. <laughs> hey, St. Sarah. He, the Spirit and Jesus takes all these individual saints and puts us into one body under his head so that we can be his hands and feet and heart and limbs in the world and I think our our favorite our favorite saint who is no longer with us Saint Eugene sums it all up in the way he wrote in the message verses 19 through 22 that's plain enough isn't it you are no longer wandering exiles this kingdom of faith is now your home country you're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using all of us. Irrespective of how we got here and what he is building, he used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation 
Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. <laughs> we are self-rising flour in a pint of ice cream, and we are delicious. We are also best in our solitude and in community when we are going in the same direction. And that direction, we get to forge together with Jesus at the helm. So that takes some of the pressure off because Jesus is doing the work and we get to walk in it and we get to follow.